Hello and welcome to The Cost of Health, brought to you by the North Carolina Coalition for Fiscal Health. I'm your host and executive director of the coalition, Michael Kraskin. On the show this week, if you follow the coalition on social media and our blog, which you should, you already know that one of our hot topics is surprise billing. Surprise hospital bills are the result of patients without their knowledge being treated by providers who are not in their insurance network. This can happen even at an in-network hospital. Surprise bills are hugely damaging to families and drive up the costs of our insurance premiums, which is why I was so excited yesterday when Senate Bill 386 was introduced. This bill will mitigate the impact of surprise bills by setting reasonable limits on what out-of-network providers can charge patients. Last week, before the bill was introduced, I got to sit down with Senator Heiss, one of the bill's sponsors, to discuss the issue of surprise bills. My hometown is Spruce Pine, North Carolina. My district represents six counties in western North Carolina, Madison, Yancey, Mitchell, McDowell, Rutherford, and Polk. It's a geographic area that kind of surrounds the Asheville area. I run from the Tennessee line to the South Carolina line. It's about a three-hour drive to go all the way across my district, so very rural area of the state. What kind of work are you involved in when you're when you're not here in Raleigh? Um, I work here for our community college. I do a faculty position as well as some administrative work for the college, teach some in the prisons and basic skills and others, and try to work with some extension projects and others at the campus. Oh, that's great. I, I think I met someone from your district who I also interviewed for this podcast who uh, does the IT for the prison system there. Wonderful. Um, really nice guy, Keith Buchanan. Yeah. And so do I call you, do we call you Professor Heiss when you're there <laughs> and Senator Heiss when you're here? Yeah, as long as you call me, that's fine. Senator <laughs> Professor. <laughs> so you're joining me today to talk a little bit about health care costs. Uh, health care costs are skyrocketing in North Carolina, eating up money that should be going towards families and businesses. Could you tell me a little bit about what got you personally interested in healthcare? how you ended up where you are? Well, I've actually, uh, uh, prior to this year, I'd spent the last seven years chairing our Health and Human Services and Health Policy Committees here in the General Assembly. It was really something I started out as because my background's a statistician. And so I really got involved when the pro tem called me one day and said that the Department of Health and Human Services can't do forecasting. We need you to chair. <laughs> um, and so that really is what got me involved. But the thing you learn as a legislature in North Carolina for every priority members run on, when you get down here, it's really health care that drives every decision you make. Right. The gross in Medicaid, the gross in the state health plan and others, and those kind of entitlement systems don't get to be little bows you put on them and say this is the amount of money we will spend you get to try to forecast how much you are going to spend and try to set aside that amount of money we've had a long history until the last few years of not setting aside enough money and finding those blow up and that impacts our schools that impacts education that impacts our highways everything we do kind of centers around health care and it's no different than when i talk to small businesses and others in my community what they want to pay employees, their ability to recruit employees or to cover their own health insurance. The growth they've seen in the cost of their health insurance or for their employees' health insurance over the last few years is even affecting their business decisions and how they can expand into new areas and grow and how they're hampered by those rising costs. 
Have you heard any uh, stories specifically from any of your constituents? Uh, well, one I got uh, pretty early, but probably about three, four years ago, I had a constituent contact me, and he, he's a very unique individual in Rutherford County, and he had to have a knee replaced, and he was coming out. But he went through this entire process of determining exactly how much this was going to cost him before he went. And he went online and made the phone calls and everything else to every part of his facility, every doctor that would be there, how much is their rates. He put it down. He knew how much he would spend and how much his 20% was going to be after his deductibles. And so he had it all worked out. But when he got the bills, he found out there was almost $3,000 uh, an additional cost he was completely unaware of because it happened that his anesthesiologist wasn't in network. And so even though he went to a network facility, that's what coming in when you had to numb his leg and do everything else that you had to do uh, and involve that process, so he gets this bill six months later for additional cost. It wasn't an emergency service, wasn't others. And he was quite furious uh, that he could show up and go to a facility that said it was in network, and all of a sudden he's getting out-of-network bills, which have their own deductibles and out-of-pocket maximums and co-pays and uh, those type of things. And so that's where he really started. As I got to look into this, it, it's kind of this developing practice that's starting to happen all over North Carolina, whether it's with anesthesiologists or emergency room physicians or others where you think you're going to an in-work facility in a facility that advertises it's in network, because it, but because it contracts certain services, those services aren't in network and are really unlimited in the amount they can charge. If it's an emergency service, then your insurance company's being forced to pay that, which raises your premiums. If it's non-emergency services, then you're having to pay that out of pocket. So that was one that was contacted me. He was furious about the cost. Uh, that was coming through and he actually thinks he got the first letter from the collection agency before he got the actual letter from the bill uh, and those type of practices which should have been taken care of by your in-network provider. The way we talk about it is we call it surprise billing. From what we've seen, the cost of it often gets passed along to the insurer so the, the patient doesn't necessarily see it. But that's one of the big reasons that our premiums keep going up and up and up is that there's no limits on this. And from what you're describing, it sounds like not only did he do everything right, there never was an opportunity in the whole system for him to find out that that anesthesiologist was actually out of network. Right, uh, because he went to a hospital and to a doctor's office that was in network. I can't tell you everyone that's aware of everyone who'll look at every x-ray and every yeah. uh, thing that, you know, the in-network facility contracts all that and determines who works in their facilities and others. And quite frankly, it just needs to mean something to be in network. It does. It does. Well, we really have legislation uh, coming forth now that uh, would really curb a lot of that practice by coming in and saying that, uh, we're going to set rates uh, within this state, whether it's what would be normally be charged regionally or a default rate that's a percentage of Medicare, so that these providers don't have this unlimited ability uh, to come out and charge whatever they want and to push that on either the insurance company or onto the uh, individual. That, uh, you know, when you put that network name out there and you're getting the benefit of the customers coming who have that insurance company, uh, then you have some reasonable limitations for those charges. So coming in, and we're looking to push that all across the state. How are you thinking about setting those limits? Because there are no limits right now on on what these 
out-of-network anesthesiologists and others can charge? Are you pegging it to some sort of existing number? Right now we're pegging it to a 180% that's coming of Medicare payments, which is kind of a standard that's out there. Or if there's a regional payment that's made, if, you know, if we find out that regionally we're paying a certain amount uh, for a particular procedure, it could go instead to the regional amount. But it would be hard caps that would come on. I think that I actually think what you will see is most of these providers, once the loophole's gone uh, yeah. that allows them to get all the benefits of being in the network, I think you'll see them coming back to the table and negotiating uh, with the insurance companies for an appropriate rate for an appropriate service. It sounds like the benchmarks you're using to set those rates are, are what most people would call just fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that uh, most you'll find most of the facilities, and it's all kinds of other discussions we're having right now, uh, but they do most of the procedures accepting Medicare rates or accepting these rates, and we've actually gone to higher percentages of those for a profitable service. We understand that it's private insurance and there's some inequities in that market. Uh, but the important thing for people as they get more involved in their own health care decisions yeah. is that they need to have a reasonable expectation when they go in for a procedure that they can know what that procedure is going to cost. Yeah, like like we do with everything else we buy. We do. As, uh, but try getting any bill you get uh, from a medical facility, even sometimes from your insurance company and others, and just look down and see if you can figure out what you were supposed to pay or what was paid. Uh, that's coming in and it's a confusing process and that's why it was so shocking when I was contacted by somebody who had done all that work and realized that there's a hidden surprise uh, coming in his bill. Right. Yeah, I just had my third kid and insurance took was great, took care of everything, but just because I do what I do, I was trying to sort through the bills myself. Well, I happen to be parents of twins, and you can imagine that process Ooh. when you now have it uh, split between baby A and baby B. So. <laughs> they, they try to double charge you for some of the service? But every procedure we had was uh, like an ultrasound would be billed for baby A and billed for baby B uh, in that process. But that was, uh, it's been uh, about 10 years ago now, but that was an interesting to try to figure that one out. How does that work? They're not using twice as much gel. They're uh, not using... But it was two procedures, and for everyone, and when it got to the birth, you had to, for twins, you, I say you had two doctors and two nursing teams, one for each baby. But one bills as primary for baby A and secondary for baby B, and oh. the other one bills as primary for baby B and secondary for baby <laughs> A. So for the actual birth process, I tell you, there was four bills. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> Did you, did you get to negotiate that? Or? Um, it comes at, well, you, that's when you find out in your insurance thing called the out-of-pocket max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, one thing you've mentioned a couple times is this idea of price transparency. Obviously, that's become a little bit of a national conversation. What do you think about some of the stuff we're hearing out of, out of Washington on that? Well, the challenging thing I have is that any time people are talking about tra price transparency, uh, there's about 40 different definitions of the same <laughs> term that they're using. And, you know, you think of you want a very simple system of what is the cost of something that someone should know up front. Right. Uh, but what you're finding is there's four or five different prices for anyone. And if you go in with a particular insurance company, it's one rate. If you go in with a, others, it's a discount off of that rate. Yeah. Uh, if you go in with a cash price, which no one ever paid, uh, that's what coming in. Here's this exorbitant cost. Uh, and there's a whole lot of people who are paying zero uh, mm -hmm. in that process, and they balance all that yeah. out. So trying to get to the concept of what it actually costs to do a procedure yeah. is something you'll never find. 
but trying to come out with what your bill rate would be is something I think that individuals should at least relatively know what they will be charged and what the percentage of that will be that they will owe. Besides surprise bills, what do you have on your, your radar this session? Uh, the next thing we're working on, particularly in healthcare, is trying to make sure that we're expanding access. In the rural areas uh, that I represent in Western North Carolina, it is very difficult to get a primary care doctor or others or an OBGYN to come practice in those areas. So we're looking at a lot of areas like making sure that nurses can completely be in their scope of practice so that, you know, when my boys are sick or whatever else, maybe they can really just go see a nurse practitioner yeah. uh, and try to get those clinics open 24-7. Now, my audience might not totally understand that. So right now, very capable nurses are not allowed by law to do everything that they know they're capable of. Right. right? The biggest factor is right now they can do it, but it has to be under the direct supervision of a physician. Right. So you'll find a lot of people who are going to a clinic during the day and only seeing a nurse practitioner yeah. uh, and receiving that, or an advanced practice nurse or a nurse midwife uh, for services. But there has to be a physician there in that supervisory role. A nurse practitioner can't go out on their own and open up a clinic doing the same services. That's one of the things I'm beginning to work on is to say that, especially in these rural areas of the state, because the challenge is not who's performing a service, but whether or not a service is being performed. Right. Uh, and if we can get someone in, even if a nurse is in that role of that first look, they can be that determining factor that says we need to prioritize them and get them to serious medical care or get them under a doctor's care immediately, or this is something that we can take up very simply, just kind of let them be that uh, filter in there. And so, you know, it five o'clock on fr- in my district from 5 p.m. on Friday until 9 a.m. on Monday, most people's only choice for health care is to go to the emergency room. Yeah. Uh, but if we could start letting, even in some of those existing clinics, let nurses run weekend or evening shifts uh, who could refer people that need to to the emergency room or take care of the cold uh, that they've seen 47 times right. <laughs> this week. Uh, that's coming in. So that's one of the areas. The other is uh, certificate of need. Uh, we have yeah. a very interesting process in North Carolina as many other states do where to buy an x-ray machine or to open up a new bed or a facility literally requires a group of bureaucrats a committee that I've served on uh, here in Raleigh uh, to approve that before they can open or before they can move forward um, and we're really trying to open up the market to health care and say that these industries and businesses can make their own investments and equipment and spread those and maybe give us a real chance at having some of those services in rural areas. Right, because right now for some services we're artificially limiting the number of firms that are competing there, which has uh, which cuts down on competition, which kind of keeps prices And particularly high. in technology, yeah. you can't see any other area of technology where prices do not decrease right. uh, exponentially. Uh, I remember the first flat screen TV I looked at was $42,000. This was coming in. Now you can go to Walmart and pick them up for, you know, two or three hundred for a better quality television than that is. (laughs) Yet somehow MRIs and x-rays and all these machines still remain at that same price level, even though the technology could change and improve and should lower the price. But when you put these governmental artificial limitations on them, you're propping up the price and running up the price of all health care from what it could be. Any particular procedures or facilities you're looking at? Um, it, uh, ambulatory surgical centers yeah. is one of those that's uh, huge under the process. Uh, large equipment, gamma knives, uh, x-ray machines, MRIs, 
those type of things, being able to use those uh, in other areas, uh, but also change how they're being used. Right now, if you have an MRI, you have a certain limited scope that you can use it for. I've met with doctors and others uh, who have people who are deathly afraid of colonoscopies and won't come in and use them, but they've found ways to now use that machinery mm -hmm. uh, to avoid the colonoscopy or at least identify the patients that really need to have it. Yeah. Again, that's increasing the access to it, which should lower the cost for everyone involved. That's great. That's great. Another one I hear a lot about is dialysis. It is. I had a pretty large uh, conflict in my community when we finally got a dialysis center, but three counties had to come together uh, under their CON in order to have a dialysis center, to have enough uh, slots to open a practice. So then I had three counties get to argue about where it would be located uh, within them. And <laughs> no. quite frankly, it has to wind up in one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As Senator Heiss described, surprise bills can happen to anyone, even patients who do their homework and believe they are seeking care within their insurance network. It is unfair, costly, and runs counter to all the benefits of a free market economy. The North Carolina Coalition for Fiscal Health wholeheartedly endorses Senate Bill 386, the Greater Transparency in Healthcare Billing Bill. If you care about runaway healthcare costs in North Carolina, make sure to contact your representatives in the North Carolina General Assembly and encourage them to vote for this bill. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast app. If you have a story you would like to share, particularly one about a surprise bill you've received, or just want to get in touch, please contact me at michael at fiscalhealthnc.com or on Twitter at michaelck. Please make sure to join the North Carolina Coalition for Fiscal Health online at fiscalhealthnc.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at fiscalhealthnc.com.